Go to Colossians chapter 4, please. Colossians chapter 4. As I said, the theme here is in Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. And what we're going to look at this morning is look at verse 7 through 18, is see how these individuals, except for one, demonstrated the preeminence of Christ in our life. As I, as I try to unfold this, some of the characters will spend a little bit more time on the others, um, but I'll, I'm going to tell you the character. I'm going to tell you how he demonstrated his, the premise of Christ's life, and I'm just going to give a little summary statement uh, concerning him as we talk about him. So that's as we work through each character here. Now, there's several, but I'm only going to look at eight of them uh, here in, this, in these verses. Uh, what I have up there is a, a verbal group photograph. Uh, he doesn't have a photograph of these individuals for us to see what they look like, but we're going to get to know a little bit about them as he, as he goes through the list and makes some little comments uh, re- referring to them. Now, I want to prepare you for this next slide that I don't want to scare you. You're going to recognize some of these people. There's seven people missing. There's 21 of them, uh, 21 in all now. But the, the point is, as you look at the picture, First of all, you begin to pick out faces, and then you see ages, and then you're wondering, I wonder who's married to who, and whose kids are with which parents, and then the ages of the children. But as you see that a, a, an actual picture many times is worth a thousand words, you, you ask some of these questions. Well, Paul doesn't have a photograph for us. But you can, as we go through and look at these people that he lists, you can get an idea, a picture in your mind of what these individuals are like. Paul is uh, in the book of Acts and Romans and Colossians and a few others, but he actually calls attention to over 100 people that he's worked with in ministry. Uh, and, uh, the Romans is the big passage. You look last chapter of Romans, there's 26 he lists there. It's just interesting. He has interacted with men and females. They are all involved in ministry in some aspect, uh, working together uh, with him. I want to read those verses again. Sorry to be redundant, but, but as I read the, these verses, I have four observations that I want to point out. Okay, follow along. Tychicus a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he was a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, Demas, greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, in Nymphos, and the church that is in his house. 
Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistles from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Let me just offer these four observations. Paul was not a lone ranger when it came to ministry. He always had helpers. I think we, we pastors, even workers, whether it be in a situation like VBS, uh, we often think, well, I, I can do this on my own. Well, Paul is an example to us that, that we didn't, that, that he didn't, that we can't. It's much more productive if we have help, if we seek help, even if it's an, an area of um, mentoring or being mentored. Secondly, friendship is a part of discipleship. The church is a community. We're interdependent. That's why you see in the scriptures so many one another. We rely upon other. We can draw from each other. Even as it says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. His, I like this statement, Paul's relationships were nurtured in the crucible of ministry partnership. Friendship is part of discipleship. The third one there, ministry flows along relational lines or relational rivers. As we develop our relationships, as we develop our friendships, ministry usually flows along those very same rivers as we partner up with individuals. The best illustration I can think of is missionaries. We, uh, Mark Self was here this past spring. We're not, we can't go to Argentina, but we can partner with Mark Self because we are like-minded, and he can go as our representative. We're helping to support him to Argentina. Ministry flows along relational rivers. As we built a relationship with Mark, we, we not only realized that this is a man, a young man, who we can support in the ministry and encourage him in, in the ministry, but we can partner with him in the ministry. The fourth observation is it's, it is beneficial to have friends different than us. Sometimes we, uh, it's easier to have people like us, but when it comes to ministry, it's more beneficial to have people different from us. Included among Paul's friends are a doctor, a runaway slave. He had friends who were Jewish in background and others who didn't even know who Abraham was. He hung out with guys and had friendships with women. He was closer to some than others. Some were givers and a few were goers. Several were old and a handful were new. Some were up to the task while others bolted from their beliefs. It is beneficial to have friends different than us. Iron sharpens iron. All right, let's go to the characters themselves. These two men were men that were sent, Tychicus and Onesimus. Tychicus is a man with a servant's heart. He calls him beloved brother, which is a term of endearment, uh, soulmate. Uh, there's a sense of calm and peace. There's words not needed to be expressed to understand feelings. He calls him a faithful minister or servant, doulos. Uh, so this is his relationship and his service to Christ. Where beloved brother is, there's a relationship to other believers. 
He calls him a fellow servant. A little bit different word. It simply means it can be translated, often is, bondservant. In other words, this is his relationship to the Apostle Paul. He willingly was putting himself under the ministry of Apostle Paul to assist him in ministry itself. He was a man with a servant's heart. He wanted to be there with Paul. This is a statement. He did not take the easy way, but he did take the right way. Or if you put it another way, and I've heard you use this expression before, hard right or easy wrong. Tychicus chose to take the right way, to minister and work with Paul as, he, as possible. He was a fellow servant. He was a fellow minister. He was a beloved brother. Our, our work must be treated by four propositions. Now just think with me along the line here. I'm not spending a little, a little more time here than the others. Our work, our ministry, must be treated by four propositions and, or tested by them. First of all, is this a work from God? Is Faith Bible Church a work from God? Is it a work for God? Is it a work with God? Is it a work to God, to his glory? As you think of the ministry opportunities that the Lord may be laying on your heart, I, I know some of you work down at Helps Outreach. Is that a work from God? Is that a work for God? Is that a work with God? Is that a work to God? As you test and look at those things and the opportunities that God lays upon your heart in areas to minister, whether it be inside the Faith Bible Church or outside Faith Bible Church, whether it be directly connected or indirectly connected. Onesimus. Onesimus is an interesting character man with a sinful past. You'd have to go over to Philemon. If you, you can turn there or just listen as I, as I look at that. But Philemon gives us a little bit of insight to Onesimus. Verse uh, 10 through uh, 10, 11, and 17, and 18 says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten well in my chains. Uh, the aspect seems to be that he accepted Christ as his personal savior, having run away from his owner, Philemon, he somehow ran into or met up with the Apostle Paul there in Rome. I appeal to you, my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten well in my chains, who is once was profitable to you, but now he's profitable to you and to me. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Again, it appears that this and other places, that Onesimus had stole something. And he was a slave, and he ran away. His, so his present condition was he was a runaway slave. He was a thief. This is, this is his sinful past. But then you read down in verse 15 and 16 in the book of Philemon, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. In other words, he departed for a while so I could lead him to the Lord, so he could return to you and be more profitable than he was when he was with you the first time. Because not only he is returning to you in service, but he's returning to you as a brother in Christ. There's still a role that he plays, but there's a common bond that wasn't there before. 
For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He was going back to face the consequences. How many, how many of us would do that? Not knowing exactly what, I mean, I mean, it'd be nice to have Apostle Paul's letter in my pocket when I went back home, but he was willing to face the consequences. He was a changed man. He was a different man, not only as, by his own faith, but as Paul witnessed to it. So those are the men who were sent. These are the men who stayed. There's actually uh, four of them. Aristarchus is the first man. He's a man with a sympathetic heart. Verse, uh, verse 10. He was, if you go back to Acts chapter 19, we see him mentioned there, and he was with Paul on his three-year ministry in Ephesus. This is the longest time Paul ever spent any place was there in Ephesus. At the end, towards the end of the ministry, there was a riot that took place, and Paul's comrades, he, Paul wanted to wade in and face it, Paul's comrades said, no, you need to get out of here for your own safety's sake. Well, Aristarchus is the one who ended up getting seized, arrested. Second time we see him is in Acts, in Acts 19, he gets seized by the crowd. In Acts 20, he's, he accompanied Paul to Jerusalem, and there he gets arrested as Paul gets arrested. Then in chapter, and then the third time we see him is on the voyage to Rome in Acts 27, and they're shipwrecked. I think someplace upon the line, I've been seized, arrested, I've been shipwrecked. I might be saying, maybe I need better friends. Maybe I need to look around a little bit. Uh, think about that. But non nonetheless, he had a sympathetic heart. He stayed with him. He stayed with Paul in and during his imprisonment. That's why he calls him a fellow prisoner. Now, does that mean that he was a prisoner uh, of Rome, or was he a prisoner by choice? I believe there's a reference to the fact that he, he was a prisoner by choice with Paul to minister to him. There's something I, I read that's uh, kind of obscure uh, that the, a Roman prisoner uh, who was a Roman citizen was allowed to have two slaves serve him. Uh, Aristarchus may have actually been one of those individuals in that capacity, although there was other, several others there around him. He was a prisoner because he chose to share in the experience and minister to Paul during his imprisonment. He was a man with a sympathetic heart. He looked beyond himself. He looked beyond himself to what others needed, how he could better serve. John Mark. Uh, John Mark may be the most familiar to us. I've related them to you on different occasions. The man with the second chance. John Mark, of course, the first time we meet him, actually we don't meet him, but it's an indirect reference to him, in Acts chapter 12. The church is meeting in this house and they're praying for Peter to be let loose from prison. Peter is let loose from prison by divine intervention, and he comes to the house where this prayer meeting is taking place. He knocks on the door, and a young maiden or young maid comes to the door and sees who it is. Peter doesn't open the door, but runs back in real excited to tell the prayer meeting what happened. And, of course, they don't believe her until finally someone goes, and sure enough, it is Peter. Well, that house happened to be John Mark's mother's home. So that's the first time we come across John Mark, his home. Second time 
of course, is the most famous, and that's the first missionary journey when he was with Paul and Barnabas. He is a cousin to Barnabas. Some think that Barnabas might have been an uncle, but the, the, the Greek seems to lean more towards the aspect of a cousin. And uh, he came with, started off with John or with Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey. It doesn't tell us why he left. The implication seems to be that possibly it was because of immaturity. Uh, maybe it was too hard. But he went along the journey and he just left. No explanations given. He took off. Well, the famous incident then is, this, is the second missionary journey when they get ready to go and Barnabas brings John Mark and says, he's coming with. And Paul objects furiously. They have a sh very sharp disagreement. And at that point, then Paul takes Silas and goes that way. And Barnabas takes John Mark and goes that way. We don't hear anything more about Barnabas' ministry as he is the one initiated bringing Paul along. From that point on, Paul is the primary focus in the book of Acts. Um, they were reconciled. Uh, we find out later in Timothy. Uh, but that's, that's where we find, we don't have a very good picture anyway of John Mark. Then, in 2 Timothy 4.11, as Paul is at the end of his life, he says, bring John Mark, because I have found him profitable. So someplace between that time when Paul and Barnabas were split to this time now when Paul's heading towards execution, he, he, he reconciles and rectifies the fact that John Mark is profitable. John Mark has changed. That's why I put this. He erred, but he remained teachable. Listen, you've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I'm going to probably make more mistakes. But am I teachable? Are you teachable? Are you allowing the word of God to wash over you? Are you sensitive to what it has to say for you? That's why as we, even as we looked at those verses this morning, we spent some time in prayer. We want to embrace the scriptures. Allow it to change us. John Mark erred. He made a terrible mistake. But he was teachable and he changed. You may change faster than others. You may change in small increments. But if you're teachable, spiritual growth will take place. Interestingly enough, as you already know, the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. God in his graciousness saw fit to lean down and encourage him and direct him to record his words as we read in the book of Mark. He made a mistake, but he remained teachable. The, the other two in this, the men that were stayed, were Justice and Luke. Now, Justice is a man of strong commitment. Uh, he calls him a fellow worker. Uh, in other words, he's willingly involved. Uh, he was called a comforter or encourager. But other, other than that, we know nothing about justice. Sometimes he's mentioned other works, but we know nothing about justice. That's why I said he's a man with a strong commitment. He was, he's one of those guys, he remained invisible while serving 
but he was missed when absent. This is, this is, this is, this is the kind of guy that we would look at and said, is that me? Is that how I'm serving? I always want to be noticed, or I'm in, actually invisible. Well, when I'm gone, I'll be missed. This was justice. He was a strong commitment. He was absolutely committed. He, wasn't, he, wasn't, he was not a quitter in any sense, even though he may not have had anything known about him. He was unknown. Luke, man with a specialized skill. Of course, Luke is familiar to most of us, as we've, if you've read, read through the New Testament at all, of course, the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke. He was a Greek. Uh, he was a, a physician by profession. Uh, the Greeks themselves had perfected um, medical field, and they were highly respected. And Luke was one of those. Let's put it this way. Luke could have made a lot of money if he had stayed away from Paul. And possibly it may be that one of the, one of the means by which he was able to support himself was by practicing his medicine as he traveled around, just like Paul practiced tent making. He is, he is a, seems to be the consummate or perpetual companion with Paul. He's with Paul in Jerusalem. He's on the voyage to Rome. He's with Paul here in Colossians. He remained with Paul there as he is in last imprisonment. He's a Gentile, and as we said, he wrote the book of Luke. He's an example of a professional who used his skill in the service of the Lord wherever, whenever, and however. You may, maybe you have a specialized skill. Maybe the Lord has challenged you. I know uh, the practice that my son is in. They can take a leave of absence and go to a mission field. In fact, one of them has been to where uh, the Millers practiced there in Togo, West Africa. Has gone there on several different occasions for two or three weeks at a time to doctor. Well, this, you know, he's, he's not lifetime, but he's using his skill for a specific purpose, a specific area. And maybe that's something that God has given you, that you have that ability or capability, and, and he want you to use it uh, for wherever, whenever, and however. Interesting man now, and just one individual, Epaphras, this is a man who prayed, verse 12 and 13. He was saved I believe during Paul's ministry at Ephesus, along with Philemon, uh, he was what we might refer to as a lay elder. He's one of the key founders of the church at Colossae and apparently, apparently Laodicea. Uh, this is actually the second time he's mentioned in this letter. Uh, that which set him apart was his ministry of prayer. This is a very, and, and so Paul spends two verses actually just talking about him and, and his, and his uh, prayer. This is what's remarkable about him, always. All right, so he prayed constantly. Uh, he very boldly came to the throne of grace. He didn't hold any back. He was always praying. Uh, laboring fervently. I know as he prayed with sincerity. He, he prayed uh, uh, with effort and energy, pouring himself into it. He prayed for you. The, in other words, he prayed, he prayed personally for you. That, that you, you specifically... He said, and specifically what? He prayed specifically that you would stand perfect and complete uh, in, the, in the will of God. Epaphras didn't pray around the world for everybody in general and nothing in 
particular, but he prayed specifically for those believers back there at Colossae. He prayed fervently, he prayed personally, he prayed sincerely, he prayed constantly. And lastly, with great zeal, he prayed with passion, with urgency, with warmth. He said there, and he prayed specifically, he said, stand perfect. On the word settled, established. Perfect has to do, not perfection, but spiritual growth, of growing to maturity. Complete. On the words, totally satisfied, content in him. In the will of God, obedience to his word and submit to his will. And also to pray for one another personally. He prayed specifically. He prayed with passion, with great zeal, with urgency, with warmth. This is, this is what marked uh, Epaphras, his prayer life. Lastly, the man who strayed, of course, was Demas. Now, Demas is mentioned on several different occasions, and I apologize, this is more of a teaching than preaching, um, but I think you can get the point of the preeminence of Christ being demonstrated in your life, how these men displayed that. But Demas is never commended. He just said he's here. He's never commended. He's identified as a fellow laborer. In other words, he works alongside Paul like Mark did, like Aristarchus did. He seems to be a longtime companion with him because he was with Paul all the way up to the end because it's in 2 Timothy 4.9. He says, be diligent to come quickly. He's talking about different Timothy that you come. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Forsaken means to utterly abandon, to leave helpless, loved this present world. This is agape love. This is that self-sacrificing love. In other words, you would sacrifice yourself for the thing you love. Well, what was the thing he loved? He loved the world. Well, what's the world? It's a system of values and beliefs that form the moral atmosphere of the world that we live, that we work, that we interact, that we have relationships in. The moral financial stability. Anyway, he was looking out instead of looking up. And, and the, the, the sad thing when you think of Demas is he demonstrated his devotion and dedication. But he failed to finish strong. If all we knew about Demas, except if it never read Second Timothy, we think, well, Demas is okay. And he seemed to be up to a point. But he must have not, he must have had a sense of dissatisfaction or discontentment or something going on that was hidden. The outward appearance. I don't know what kind of baggage you may be carrying in here or burden you may be carrying in here with you this morning because your outward appearance doesn't reflect that. Well, apparently Demas is that way. But under the service, there, was, there must have been this constant turmoil going on. He demonstrated his devotion, his dedication. He's a fellow servant, but he failed to finish strong. In conclusion... If you look at verse 16, 17 and 18, as he closes out the chapter, he encourages them that this be read, apparently aloud, also in the church at Laodicea. Now we know there's a church there because it's referred to it in Revelation. There's not a letter written to the church at Laodicea. This is the letter 
written to the church at Laodicea. And that you also read the epistle from Laodicea. There was a letter written to Laodicea. They were interchangeable. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This was a challenge to apparently a younger man in the ministry to encourage him to stick by the stuff. Often, in the case of Paul's epistles, they are written by a secretary. So that's when he says, this salutation by my own hand. Paul, remember my chains. Don't forget why I'm here. I'm here for the sake of the gospel. Grace be with you. If you, if you were to look at Paul's epistles, he begins them with grace and he ends them with grace. This is unmerited favor. This is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace be with you. Amen. That amen is like a confirmation. It's like, let it be so. Listen. We may or may not identify with these individuals, but this, this we know. You and I must demonstrate the preeminence of Christ in our lives. In whatever capacity, whatever relationship it is that he is allowing us to build and make, whether it be with our children, our mates, our neighbors, other believers even in our congregation, that the preeminence of Christ would be demonstrated. And don't be like Demas. Don't be a fake. Finish strong. Be committed. And may the grace be with you. Remember my change. Grace be with you. Let it so be. Let it be so. Let it be settled. Don't be a wanderer. He loved this pleasant world, but he failed miserably. Father, we pray as we finish this morning as looking into these different believers and the challenge that is set before us to be more and more conformed to the image of your son. Indeed, Lord, we, we not take these things for granted. Indeed, Father, we are thankful for your grace. It's above and beyond what we could ask or think. It's amazing grace that you sent your son to take our place. His head's bowed and eyes closed. You hear this morning say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me that I be real, that I don't just put on a show, but I be real, that I don't end up like Demas. Is anyone like that? Yes, any others? Say also, if you're here this morning, and, and I've not preached towards this point, but if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you'd like to have someone show you from the Word this morning, how to be saved. Is there anyone like that? We'll, we'll talk to you privately after the service. Thank you, God, for hearts that are open and tender in realizing that we would be teachable like Mark, that we'd be growing and maturing in our faith, that we may be invisible, but yet, Lord, I pray that we'll be committed. And we thank you for these things even now in Christ's name. Amen.